This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Romans this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 3 is where we are at. Uh, if you missed anything so far, you can get caught up on the Hui Kala app uh, on your mobile device. If you want to, you can uh, um, take notes there if you want to. Or you can jot some notes down on your uh, sheet of paper that you got from our ushers there today. Whatever you take really good notes. Today's message is a little bit different from what we normally do. We normally take a passage of Scripture and really do a deep dive uh, into each individual verse in that passage. Today's a little bit different because we're looking at more of a topic. Uh, verse number 18 tells us that there was no fear of God before their eyes. What does the fear of God even mean? Uh, you might have heard that phrase before. It's like, does that mean we're supposed to be cowering in fear of who God is? What does that mean exactly? We're going to take a look at that today and how you and I can live in the fear of God this week uh, in a really, really healthy way. And so uh, Romans chapter 3, we find ourselves uh, in uh, verse number 10 through verses 18. We'll finally wrap up this passage that we've been going through over the last several weeks uh, and move on to verse number 19, a uh, week after next. And so, uh, again, this is telling us, Paul's telling us as he writes to them, this is the condition of the heart of the unsaved man. People who don't know Jesus, this is what their heart looks like, this is what their life looks like, and this, again, shows us how badly we need Jesus. And so, uh, it kind of gives you an idea of where we're going here today. Uh, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse number 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, we just need to stop there for just a second and say all of us have broken God's law. All of us have fallen short of God's expectation. God expected us to obey him 100% in every area. And you and I have failed. And not only did we fail, we failed miserably. And so he says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Later in verse number 23 in the same chapter, it'll tell us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just don't forget where you came from, Okay. Verse number 11, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way, they're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throats in open sepulcher, with the tongues they've used deceit, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, in the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. You might have heard that phrase, fear of God, before. You might have heard somebody say, well, I'm going to put the fear of God in you. What does that exactly mean? Is that a healthy thing? Is that an unhealthy thing? Uh, is it good for Christians, those of us that would call ourselves Christ followers, Bible believers, is it good for us to have uh, the fear of God? Is that healthy or is it unhealthy? Uh, for the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ and is not a follower of God, what does the fear of God mean for them? And how do we live in the fear of God? That's really important. It tells us here from the very beginning that the unsaved man, verse number 18, has no fear of God whatsoever. Now, when we talk about the fear of God, we're really talking about from the very beginning a level of respect for who God is. We live in a society today that causes us to uh, question authority, and it's actually uh, celebrated. It's actually a good thing for you to challenge authority. 
Even when a police officer uh, pulls you over, it's your job to challenge their authority. By what right do you ask these things? And again, people have gone YouTube viral over recording their interactions with police officers and asking, you know, do you have a warrant? Do you have the right to do this? And so we're automatically taught to be suspect of authority and to challenge authority. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, my parents always taught me you should respect authority, you should obey authority, you should use yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no man. And, and uh, a police officer might behave in a way that's unkind or, uh, or we would disagree with, but you respect the position, you respect the, the title, you respect the authority. Uh, my parents always told me, listen to your teacher and obey and respect authority. And it's just kind of one of those things that was kind of ground into me as a kid for sure. And then there arose a popularity amongst uh, a group of uh, people uh, in, that wanted to question authority, to disobey authority. And the, the, uh, you know, the punk rock scene back in the 80s and 90s became really popular with the anarchy symbol that was a, a, a show that we were not going to have anybody tell us what to do. We're not going to be held down by any type of authority. And then uh, on the scene begins to pop up this uh, type of music that was against the police and uh, to celebrate the death of cops and uh, a popular song back then a rap song called Cop Killer and celebrating uh, the fact of death to police. And these things became popular. It wasn't this really strange fringe of these weirdos who want to kill cops. It's now a thing where we need to question all authority. And we see that those seeds that got sown are now beginning to bring forth really corrupt fruit in our society today where we have Americans calling for the death of their own president. How did that happen? How do we get to a point where the office of the president used to be an office that was respected? And again, this is not a political statement. The Bible says that God sets up one and puts down another. Every authority structure you have in your life was given to you by God. Therefore, you should respect, honor, and pray for those that are in authority. That's just a biblical concept. That's not a political statement. But when we have magazine covers with with Americans holding a severed head of the sitting president, and we call it art, I think we've gone wrong somewhere where we have a disrespect for authority. When When we teach our children to hate cops, I think we ran afoul of a disrespect and a, a, a disrespect, I guess, if you will, of authority. And let me tell you, that's really unhealthy because the ultimate authority structure in all of our lives is God the Father, the Creator, the righteous judge. He is the ultimate authority. So when, when we're raised to question authority, authority is suspect. We can't believe anything that they say. And definitely uh, there are religious leaders and religious figures who have behaved themselves in unseemly or ungodly ways for sure. We're left to scratch our head and question and say, hey, I don't know that I buy into the whole idea of authority. And again, when we reject the authority of God, we take on the role of being the authority ourselves. We determine what goes and what's right and wrong from there. Psalm 36, verse number one talks about this. It says, the transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flattereth himself in his own eyes. Again, you puff yourself up in your own eyes until his iniquity found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good, and he abhorreth not evil. We have a group who not only reject authority, but they actually love sin. 
And so, again, it's really easy to, to play, you know, armchair theologian and look at them and go, oh, man, America's going to hell in a handbasket. We turned our back on God. And we took the Ten Commandments out of schools. And now kids can't pray at football games. And look at the mess that we're in. Okay, that's fine. And, and again, I would agree with some of that, if you will. My question is, what are you doing with your own personal life? Because, look, at the end of the day, I can gripe about that. But my kids... They don't go to public school. They're not being forbidden from praying at a football game. My kids, you know, know the Ten Commandments. Am I teaching them? Am I, am I bringing them up to know the Lord and to obey and respect His authority? And so when we take a look at the fear of God, and again, the unsaved man has no fear of God before his eyes, the fear of God really is kind of a, a twofold thing, and both of these are really healthy. One of these, uh, when we talk about the fear of God, we're talking about a reverential respect that understands the awesomeness, the greatness, the majesty, and the glory of God. It causes us to step back and say, whoa, God is incredible. God's amazing. For me this morning, uh, man, at the 8 o'clock service, my, my voice was gone uh, by like 8.15. Because of the songs we were singing, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Man, to, to be able to sing that, that, that my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, I went forth and followed thee. Man, what an incredible, incredible truth. To sing, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, sin has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, not a living hope, but my living hope. Man, I recognize how great God is. And when we talk about the fear of God, the fear of God, the reverential fear of God fuels our worship. Now, the word worship does not mean singing together with a group of people in church. That's not what the word means. And unfortunately, people have, have kind of uh, hijacked that word and made it seem like, oh, man, the worship today at church was great. That word worship doesn't mean a bunch of songs that we sing in succession with one another. The word worship literally means a recognition of who God is in light of who I am. God is high, he is holy, he is lifted up, he is perfect, he is without sin, and if you were to compare me to God, I am as low as low could possibly be. The Bible describes us as a worm in the sight of God. That disparity, that recognition of that disparity is worship. The, the word worship literally could be translated to mean to lay flat on your face in front of. We find this when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and there was a, uh, a storm that arose and the people said, man, master, don't you care that we're all gonna die? And he came and he rebuked the seas and the storm and it, peace came upon the Sea of Galilee and the Bible says they that were in the, work, in the boat fell down and worshiped him. The idea is that they laid down in front of recognizing how great he was and to make themselves as low as possible in his presence. So when we talk about worship, again, worship is not so much so that uh, you would lay down on the floor here while we sing or anything like that. We don't have enough square footage for that, all right? Can, can, can you imagine that? Well, our auditorium seat's about 300, but it, well, we can lay about 150 in it or so, you know, maybe 100, depending on how large people are. Uh, don't do that. Here's the idea, though. My heart 
is in a bowed down low position in recognition of who God is. That's the idea with worship. And so that's not just a, um, like, hey, here's some songs I want to sing on Sunday morning and recognize how great God is. Worship is really our life. You got up this morning, hopefully you got two extra hours of sleep other than what the 8 o'clock service got, right? You came to 10 o'clock and a little bit of extra sleep for you. I'm good with that. Uh, But you carved out time this morning on your calendar because you said, I need to be in church with God's people because God is worthy. That was an act of worship. Now, some of you are just like, Hey, I had a neighbor invite me. I didn't really think about that. Okay, that's fine. Then, then I want to help you to get to the point of worship where you recognize how great God is and you want to be in his house with his people. Some of us uh, this week spent time in the word. I hope you'll spend time in God's word every single day. Open the Bible up, start your day, spend time in prayer. Why? Because God is worth that time. The word worship actually comes from the English word worth-ship. It means this is worthy. This is valuable to me. And to worship God and to worship his son Jesus means we have to recognize first and foremost the value that's found in them. I spend time in God's word every day because I need to hear from God. I realize that his words are greater than the words that I currently have. His wisdom is greater than the wisdom that I currently have and I need that from him. I spend time in prayer because I want to spend time with my father because of how great he is and how much he loves me. And how he says that if anything, I ever need anything, all I have to do is ask. That's an act of worship, prayer. Many of us uh, give in our tithes and offerings give to the Lord. Uh, the tithe is the first 10% of everything that, that comes across your hands. You give to the Lord as an act of worship. I, I don't give because God's broke. I don't give so that our church can pay our bills. I give because God is worthy. And I want to give. I delight in giving. I share my story with anybody who will stand still for five minutes talking about how great God is, what his son Jesus Christ has done for them, and how they can be forgiven of all the sin that they've ever done and be in heaven with God one day. Why? Because that story is worth telling again and again and again and again because he's worthy. Why would a a couple from California move to a, a, a really a third world country like Thailand and raise their kids on a mission field? because they believe that the work that they're doing is worthy of the Father who's called them to do it. So we're talking about worship, and that reverential fear of who God is fuels our worship. Now, this is the gas that runs the engine, recognizing who God is. Psalm 95, 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up before them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Psalm 8, we'll just read the whole psalm. It's in your notes there. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. Hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? Think about that for a second. When I take a look at the night sky and I see the stars in the sky and I see the, uh, the moon and then I see a sunrise and I'm able to go out and, and, and we live in a place where people save their entire life to go on vacation for a week. I'm able to walk down through Alamona Beach Park and take a look at Diamond Head and seeing people out there, uh, you know, on stand-up paddle boards at sunrise. I'm able to sit out there in God's creation and see that, or I drive it through the, uh, the, down the H3 and you go through the tunnel and you open it up on the other side and there's water and there's mountains and there's trees and there's greenage. Uh, and you're just like, wow. 
God is awesome. But would God really take time to like know what's going on with me? I mean, of everything that he's done and everything that he's created, all of creation that he keeps going and he keeps the earth spinning and he is the God of all comfort and God of all peace. Does he really care what's going on with me? That's what the psalmist is saying. Who is God that he's mindful of me? But here's what the Bible tells us. There's that every single hair on your head has been numbered and there's not a bird that falls to the sky that the Father doesn't know and care deeply about. God knows what's going on with you and he cares. Not only does he know, he's truly, actually, personally involved in your life. Thou madest him have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. This is a recognition that like God is so high, he's so great, he's so incredible, it causes me to declare his greatness. I want to say this, not because I, I want to be unkind, but because I want to help you with something. I'm greatly concerned about Christians who claim to be children of God who struggle to sing praise unto God. Like when you hear a song like, name above all names, worthy of all praise, my heart shall sing how great is our God. Does that not stir up something inside of you? When you sing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then came the morning that sealed the promise. What sealed our salvation? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest event in all of human history. Can you really stand there with your hands in your pocket and stare at the ceiling and count how many light fixtures there are in the room? If that's you, I, I want to encourage you to make sure that you have a heart of worship. Now, do you have to sing really loud? Do you have to, you know, make a show of it? No, you don't. But those things should stir something inside of you. When we think about the old rugged cross where Jesus suffered and bled and died to pardon and sanctify me. That should fire something up inside of us where I think, oh man, my Savior is so great. And again, just kind of as a side note, this is why we don't sing like goofy worship songs here that they play on the radio. Now again, there might be a shred of doctrinal truth, but like we don't need to say you're a good, good father 28 times, okay? There's greater things to exclaim about the greatness of our God. If that's your favorite song, I'm sorry, we'll never sing it here as long as I'm your pastor. Um, <laughs> Why? Because there's so many other great doctrinal truths to sing about God our Father, you know? That nothing compares to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, all day long, you know? Uh, and again, when we talk about God's goodness, yeah, that's great. That's just one part of who he is. We don't need to repeat it 28 times. It's fine. Uh, but again, every single song that's ever been sang in the history of who we call it, I personally picked out and I made sure, is this doctrinally solid and does it draw our heart closer to the heart of God? If it doesn't pass that test, we don't sing it. Simple as that. Because this is a time of corporate not singing. This is not Christian karaoke. This is worship. And again, you might say, well, I don't really like that song. I don't really know it. And again, I'm going to try to be as super kind with this, you know, as I can. If you didn't like the song that we sang this morning or a song we're going to sing next week or the song we sang two weeks ago, it's okay with me because we're not singing to you. It's not about you. It's not for your entertainment. It's not for you to feel good about yourself. It's not even anything you like. The question is, does this honor the Lord? Is he pleased?
by the sacrifice of praise that we bring? And if the answer to that is yes, then really it, it doesn't matter a whole lot to me. No lie, there's been songs here that sang before that wasn't my favorite song. That's okay. The truth of it was solid and it draws my heart towards the heart of God in a heart of, here's the word, worship. The fear of God, the recognition of who God is in light of who I am is what fuels our worship. Reverential fear of God also drives us to salvation. There comes a point in our life where we realize we don't really know what we're doing and we don't have life figured out yet. I remember my wife and I, when we first got married, we were young. I'm still really young, by the way. Um, <laughs> but we were really young when we got married, and we had zero premarital counseling. We were just winging it as we went. And no lie, seriously, about six weeks into our marriage, we realized, I don't think we know what we're doing here. Like, somebody has to have more answers than what we've got. Uh, because uh, what I was raised in, I got some good things from that, but it didn't really work uh, really well. Uh, what she was raised in, kind of parts of it worked and parts of it didn't work well at all. And we're just kind of like, we're kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And we realized, hey, there's got to be something out there that has the answers for this. And we didn't go to Barnes & Noble to find it. We didn't, there weren't any YouTube channels you sub could subscribe to at that point. Podcasts hadn't been invented, and nobody even knew what an influencer was, okay? So what did we do? We went to church, and we said, the Bible must have the answers for what we're facing. Let me just tell you this. The Bible has the answer 100 times out of 100 for whatever you face. And so when we recognize, I don't think we have it all together. I think there's something that's lacking here. And then we begin to understand how great God is in comparison to who we are. And now we begin to realize truth. And truth says this, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Then you recognize, wait a minute, I'm going to have to answer to God one day for what I've done. Oh, you're going to have to answer to God one day for every single solitary thing that you've done. The Bible says every idle word that you've ever spoken will be given an account for. And then you realize, I think I'm in trouble. Like, this isn't good. Like, this is worse than being called to the principal's office. This is, this is worse than your mom calling out your full name while you're out playing with your friends, right? Because once the full name comes out, you're like, I'm toast, right? But wait, wait, wait. I'm going to stand before a holy God and be judged according to my works? This is big. This is bad because here's the thing. You and I, when God set a standard and God put rules in his, his word, you and I have broken all of them. All of them. And it's not a matter of like, oh, I did that one th thing that one time when I was in high school that I'm not really proud of. Or I made some bad mistakes when I was in college. Or I shouldn't have done. No, 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 no. You and I have violated God's law in every way possible. And we don't need to just a, a little cleanup act to fix the stuff that we've broken. We need a complete and total overhaul. We've broken God's law and we stand in danger of God's judgment. And here's got what God says the consequences are. The wages of sin is death. You and I will die one day. We'll stand before a holy God and we'll have to give an account and we will be punished for every wrong thing that we've done. That's what we deserve. And God's punishment is not a slap on the wrist that we get our, our hands slapped and we're able to go on into heaven. This is a God who is going to put you and I in hell for all of eternity where we will suffer with no end in sight. That's what we deserve. That should cause us to stop and say, whoa, okay, God's not the type of God that you should mess around with. 
That's the fear of God. You should show a little respect to the name of the person who holds your eternity in their hand. That's the fear of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 145, verse number 19, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him, and he will also hear their cry and save them. You see, God doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants to save you from your sin. But he can't just let it pass. He can't just pretend like it didn't happen. You broke his law. You were rebellious. I was rebellious. God doesn't just turn a blind eye to that. God requires justice. Someone must pay. So either you can pay for your own sin or God has sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Best news you'll ever hear in your entire life. God has already punished someone for your sin. His name was Jesus. Someone already died for your sin, and his name is Jesus. Someone already conquered your sin by arising the third day from the grave in his own power, and his name is Jesus. And so you and I can be forgiven of our sin by what Jesus has already done. So God says, somebody's got to be punished. Either I punish you or I punish my son. Totally up to you, but you have to make that decision for yourself. See, Jesus offers forgiveness, but it's not blanket forgiveness for the whole world. It's for those who choose to receive what he's offering. He's not going to force you to take forgiveness. But please understand, you stand in danger of God's judgment. And so for every one of us, you need to make the decision, who's paying for your sin? You want to pay for it? God gives you explicit guidelines on how that's done. If you're willing to allow Jesus to pay for it for you, all you have to do is believe and receive. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sin. If you'd be willing to do that, you can be saved from your sin and you can be born again. Now, that word born again is really important because Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Same word for being saved. Put your faith in me, otherwise you will not be saved. Verse number seven, Jesus says this, marvel not, don't be surprised that I say unto you, you must be born again. You need to be saved. That's the answer for what ails you. If there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, today is your opportunity for that. You need to recognize where you stand with God and realize that the second that you stand in God's presence, you will be face first and then cast out of his sight. That's the fear of God, and it drives us to realize, I need help. But this reverential fear of God is also the beginning of wisdom. Recognizing who God is and having a respect for his authority is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible tells us. Now, here's an important distinction we need to make. Intelligence and wisdom are two different things. You can be really intelligent. You might be able to understand and explain nuclear fission versus nuclear fusion. You might be able to explain that and, and draw charts. You might be able to talk for 30 minutes on the differences between, you know, different plans for harvesting wheat or rice or corn or uh, the effects of, you know, genetic modifications in the breed of cattle. Great. Super smart. That's not the same thing as wisdom. You can actually be really unintelligent by the world's standards and be wise. 
You might not be able to spell your own name or read or write. And you can be wise because wisdom is the application of knowledge. And knowledge and truth, where is it found? It's found in God's word. Become a student of the word of God and you will become a wise man or a wise woman. Not, not just know it, you got to know it and obey it. If you're willing to do that, you can become wise. And let me just tell you this, the Bible is replete with challenges to seek out wisdom, walk in wisdom. For my children, frankly, I don't really care a whole lot about what kind of grades they make. I don't really care what, what type of uh, career they get. Uh, I don't really care how much money they make per year and things like that. I want my children to walk in wisdom. Our daughter, Tallulah, she's uh, getting ready to start kindergarten in the year ahead. We'd gone to uh, a good Christian school and had a, the uh, intake interview. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the lady's going through the interview process. She's like, tell me about your academic hopes for Tallulah. She's five, okay? <laughs> she's five. Let's not make a big deal about this, okay? And I said, hey, look, I'm just going to shoot you straight. I don't really care what kind of grades she makes. I don't care if she studies a whole lot. I don't really care much about academics at all. I don't care if she goes to college. I don't care if she gets a good job or she, you know, gets a minimum wage job, really. We want her to grow up and love Jesus and walk in wisdom. That's it. And then she's like, okay. Like, and I said, and I get that's probably not the answer you were looking for or the answer that you normally get. But like, I don't have academic hopes for a five-year-old, right? Come on. I want her to be sweet. I want her to treat people with kindness and respect. I want her to love everybody. I want her to be quick to forgive. I want her to know Jesus. I want her to walk with Jesus. I want her to walk in the Spirit. I want her to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. That's what I want. And I want what I want for you, I want you to be a wise, discerning Christian. I'm not impressed with what you do for work. I'm not impressed with how much money you make or what kind of car you drive. I'm impressed by people who love Jesus and want to walk according to his word. That's impressive to me. See a single mom or a single dad teach their kids the Bible and teach them to be in church and to love Jesus. Man, that impresses me. Super impressed by that. And so, because these are the things that, that move the needle for God. Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't respect God, respect his authority, and recognize where you fall in the authority structure, the chain of command, you haven't even begun to become wise yet. Like, you haven't even started yet. So I want to encourage you, seek out wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? We find wisdom in the Word of God, 100% of the time. If you want to hear from God, read his word. God doesn't speak to us in dreams. He doesn't speak in visions. He doesn't speak always in circumstances. God doesn't speak in emotions. God speaks through his word. That's why you must become a student of the word of God and live your life by it. You got to. It's of utmost importance. Men, you should be the theologian for your home. Hey, mom, I got a Bible question you should totally ask your dad. He said, well, I'm not ready for that. Get ready then. I'll help you. 
You say, well, that's kind of a chauvinistic thing to say. No, it's not. It's a biblical thing. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Fathers, teach your children to walk according to the word of God. This is one of the reasons why I, I love single moms and single dads, because they get to play both roles. And so if you're a single mom, become the resident theologian for your home. Teach your children to, to love Jesus and walk according to the Bible. Like, again, we can't abdicate this responsibility. I love, 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 love our children's ministry program. I believe our children's ministry program is second to none in the nation. Like, we don't have a big playground. We don't have a big, you know, kid city. We've got all these skyscrapers and foam playgrounds and foam pits and ball pits and games that we roll out. We don't have any Xboxes or anything like that. But let me tell you, we've got people who love Jesus and want your kids to know the Bible. That's huge. But you know what? We get your kids for maybe a couple hours a week, maybe three hours a week. We can't teach your kids to walk in wisdom if you're not. We can't teach your kids to walk with Jesus three hours a week when you're teaching them to walk for the world the other time that you got them. Again, it's a team effort. Walk in wisdom. And you need to know the Bible. The Bible has the answer for everything that ails you. And one of the things that frustrates me is people are like, oh, the Bible doesn't say this. The Bible doesn't say that. We should stop asking ourselves, is this right? Is this wrong? We should ask ourselves, is this wise? Should Christians do things like this? I had, I've had people before who say, well, pastor, marijuana is being legalized in, in more states. Is it okay for Christians to smoke marijuana? No. Don't smoke marijuana. Don't smoke crack. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't smoke nothing, right? Just... No. Well, show me a chapter and verse in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not smoke weed. I can't. But there are principles in the Bible that talk about being sober-minded, walking according to the example that was set by Christ, and letting not your good be evil spoken of. I think those kind of settle those things. People like, well, I don't see it that way. I think I should be able to smoke weed and be a good Christian. I disagree with that. I really do. Like, imagine this. Like, you're driving up Alamona Center, you're going to park your car, and you see your pastor get out of his car and light up a... (laughs) I haven't even said anything yet. (laughs) But you know where this is going, right? I'm just going to light up a big fat one in there and take a big, huge rip, and then I'm going to hand it over to my wife... What? I have Christian liberty, right? I mean, it's legal in some states now, right? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? You laugh because, of course, it's a big deal. You would have to be a blind, carnal Christian that just wants to have your own way to argue otherwise. Because a room full of people realize that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life right? Why? Because we say we want to follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus then. We say we want to obey the Bible. Obey the Bible in every area of your life then. Come on. And so when we say we want wisdom, that comes from a fear of God and a reverence and respect for God. Here's the thing. I've never smoked weed in my life and I'm never going to. You know why? Because I love my father too much to disappoint him like that. I'm, not, I'm going to be faithful to my marriage vows that I made to my wife because I love my wife, but I also love my father to do anything that would bring reproach on his name. I've said before that, you know, if you, if you ever find me with a suicide note written, know that, man, it's a homicide, like report it right away because I'm not going to kill myself. You know why? Not because I don't get depressed or I don't get discouraged or I don't get frustrated. Because 
I love my family. I love the Lord. And I love my church family to do anything that would hurt any of those people that I love. It's a fear of the Lord. It's a respect of who he is. And so again, that that gives us guidance and boundaries to work through, and it leads us into the path of wisdom. And so when we talk about the fear of God, it's not only a reverential respect of who God is. The fear of God is also a terror of the righteous anger and wrath of God. Now, this is the like legitimate fear and terror because I recognize that all God has to do is snap his fingers and I'm done, I'm toast, I'm over with. I recognize that yes, I am saved, I am a child of God, but without Jesus Christ, I would die and split hell wide open. I recognize that. If God draws a line, I don't want to get on the wrong side of the line because I know what God is capable of. And so when we look at this, even if we're children of God, the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. Hebrews chapter 12. God spanks and corrects and disciplines his children because he loves them. And here's the thing. Any parent that loves their kids watches out for this, the safety and well-being of their kids. Imagine you've got a swimming pool in your backyard and you've got a three-year-old who likes to wander out the back door and, and un, is unattended. What would you do? Well, I put up a fence so he can't get in. Okay, the kid can climb the fence. What do you do then? Well, I would put padlocks on the door. Well, the kid figured out how to climb out the window. What would you do? Well, I'd lock the windows. Okay, then he found another way out. He made his own way. What would you do? There comes a point where you're like, look, I'll drain the pool. I'll move. I'll do whatever it takes because I love my kids too much to allow something bad to happen. Right? Parents get that, right? God the Father is the same way. Oh, no, no, you can't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. And he's going to continue to ratchet up the intensity until you get the picture. And finally, there's going to come a point where God's like, okay, look, I'm done with this. I love you too much to allow you to do this. And then it's just over from there. That's how much God should not be trifled with. And sometimes when we look at things like the chastening of God or even God's judgment, we don't realize how far God's willing to go to get our attention. You say, well, I don't care if God takes my life. Maybe God wouldn't take your life, but he'd take the life of somebody who you love dearly. Well, God wouldn't really do that, would he? <laughs> you need to read the Bible. God would 100% do that. And that's where you might say, well, I don't know if I want to obey a God who would do awful things like that. Again, I think you need to understand the character of God. You take a look at, in the Old Testament, somebody like David. David made a multitude of mistakes, and God continued to be gracious and continued to be kind. God told David, hey, David, don't take a census of Israel. You don't need to know how many men you got fighting in your army. I'm enough for you. I'll take you. I'll see you all the way through. You'll fight people, and you win 100% of the time because you trusted in me. And David decided to take a census and count. He said, hey, tell me how many soldiers I got, guys. Go out and count. And they got a count, and they brought him back a number. And God's like, oh, David, you disobeyed. Because you disobeyed, I'm going to send the angel of death, and he's going to wipe your, your people out. And before David was able to talk God into and make a sacrifice to stop the carnage, 70,000 Jews died. David didn't die. 
We don't have record of any of David's family members dying, but everybody around David died because David wasn't willing to walk in wisdom. David didn't fear the Lord. Uh, God told me to do this, but it's kind of optional if we want to do it or not. No, 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 no. 70,000 people died. Hey, Mommy, when's Dad coming home from work? Dad's not coming home today, sweetheart. How come? King David doing King David stuff again, sweetheart. Well, did Daddy do anything wrong? No, it wasn't him. It was King David. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I know, sweetheart, but that's why we need to fear the Lord. Can you imagine those conversations take place? You take somebody like Korah who had talked against uh, Aaron and Moses and basically tried to, to put himself in a political position above Aaron and Moses and so that he would have more uh, say amongst the children of Israel. God says, hey, get Korah and his family out here and have them stand in the grass over here. Korah and his family came out and the earth opened up and, sw- and swelled them up. Swelled them up. That's not a word. Swallowed them up. There we go. Swallowed up their whole family, their wife and kids too. What? Yeah. God doesn't play when it comes to sin. You need to recognize that. And if you think like, I know this is sin, but when I'm done with it, I'm just going to ask God to forgive me. You have no fear of God, flat out. Because you need to recognize you might never have the chance to repent of what you've done. You say, well, should we be scared of God? Is that what this means? There's two extreme views of God, both of which are unfair characterizations of who he is. The one side is God is mad, he's angry, he's furious. He is a, a, a father with a leather belt wrapping it against his hand, can't wait to let you have it. He's got lightning bolts at the ready and he's getting ready to rain down terror and destruction on you if you wear the wrong color pants today. That's how mad God is. God couldn't be further from that. The other end of the extreme is God's this old grandpa who's sitting on a throne with a really long beard who has to get his reading glasses out to figure out what you prayed for today. And when you mess up, he kind of rubs you on the head and pats you on the bottom, tells you to knock it off and don't do that again and sends you on your way. Both of those are wrong. God is an all-powerful God. He's not old and tired. He's as he's powerful And he's as fit for duty as he was the the day he created mankind. The Bible says God's not weary. He doesn't even sleep. God doesn't need to sleep. Can you imagine that? (laughs) For those of us that have kids, it's just like, ooh, sleep. Can you imagine like not needing to sleep? God doesn't even get tired. Like you can't wear God out. And so... But at the same time, he's gracious, he's loving, he's merciful. He hates your sin with a righteous hatred, but he loves you fiercely and dearly and just wants what's best for you. And so the fear of God, this understanding of God's righteous wrath and anger, this should drive us away from sin. This should cause me to say like, hey, I don't want no part of that. Hey, I, I, can't, I can't hang with that right there. I don't, I don't need that in my life. I don't want to spend time with people who are not walking with Jesus. I don't want the best friends that I have in the world, people who mock my faith. I don't want the influences that I allow to speak to, uh, truth to, to speak truth into my life to be people that would take me away from my faith. You know why? Because I have the fear of God. I don't want to step out of line because here's the thing. Get this, Christian here is the area where God's blessings come down. And this area right here is called obedience. 
when I go to the left or the right of this area right here, we get God's chastisement and judgment, and we forfeit the blessings. Not only does God take away the blessings, now we stand in danger of God's correction. And so that understanding of how God views me and the decisions that I make causes me to say like, hey, I just want to stay in this area right here. I just want to stay where the blessings are. I just want to stay where the obedience is. That's where I want. That's where the good stuff is found. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 16, 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So there is this view of, I recognize how high, holy, lifted up God my Father is, and at the same time, I realize what my Father is capable of. Therefore, I want to worship, honor, and obey Him with everything that I have. I got my share of spankings when I was a kid. I know it's hard for you to believe that uh, I would be rebellious in, in some way, but uh, believe it or not, thank you. My, believe it or not, my, uh, my mom gave me my share of spankings. Now, my dad spanked too. Um, probably, I would say, maybe half a dozen times in my entire life, my dad spanked me, and I remember all six of them. Like, uh, they were uh, life-changing experiences, if you will. And so, uh, but like my mom, my mom would, would spank all the time. There came to a point, like probably when I was like uh, 10 or 11 years old, where it didn't hurt anymore, and just like, ah, you know. Uh, and so, and that made it worse, because it's like, well, I'll make it hurt this time. It's like, try your best. You'll never hurt me. And so, um, and so there came this point, probably when I got to my, my uh, early, uh, you know, pre-puberty, puberty timeline, where I thought, you know, I'm a man now. You can't spank me. You know, I don't need, you know, fine, take away my privileges. I don't care, you know. You can't, you can't tame a wild horse. And so uh, and my mom would ratchet up the intensity until, like, it wasn't any use. Like, you're not getting the intended result. What do you want? But there was one phrase that my mom had that always struck fear into my heart. Does anybody know what it is? Wait till your dad gets home. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, really. Like, I'll never do that again as long as I live because that was the magic word. Wait until your dad gets home. Then it came a point where it's like, my mom didn't even need to spank anymore. She just told me, she's like, hey, just wait till your dad gets home. He'll handle it. And it's just like, oh, no, no. I'm really sorry. Like, and then, like, dad comes home from work and it's like, my room's clean. My homework is done. You know, <laughs> I'm like folding laundry in there. I've never folded laundry a day in my life. It's like, I don't know how these towels go, but I'm going to fold laundry and just like, Hey, how was your day, son? It was great, Dad. I had a great day, and I'm super thankful to have a dad like you, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, oh. And then you would just like, we would sit and eat dinner, and I'm just praying to God, like the most sincere prayers I've ever prayed in my life. Please let him forget, right? <laughs> eat dinner, and it's just like, I got dishes, and I don't wash the dishes, guys. No problem, you know? It's getting about 6.15. It's about time for me to go to bed. I'm going to go ahead and turn in for the night, you know? <laughs> where I shoved toilet paper down in the back of my pants, you know, <laughs> waiting. Uh, and my dad never forgot. And so there was this respect for my dad that I had and this deep, enduring love that I had. And then there was like, don't cross your dad. I never smart-mouthed my dad. I never talked back to my dad because I had too much fear 
You get that word? I wasn't afraid for my dad's never been abusive. My dad's never hurt me intentionally or willingly or been unkind or ugly. Uh, my dad, I don't think, is probably, he's probably raised his voice like twice at me in my life. It wasn't this fear of, of towering under the abuse. It's a matter of, I know what's coming and I totally deserve it. It was a fear, it was a respect. And then it came a point where I got a little bit older where I didn't want to do things that disappointed my dad. Not because I didn't want to get a spanking or because I didn't want to get mad or because, he, you know, he, I was fearful of him. I just didn't want to disappoint him. I wanted my dad to be proud of me. I wanted my mom to be proud of me. And it wasn't now a matter of, like, obedience for the sake of not getting a spanking or covering up the wrong that I've done. I just don't want to disappoint him. And, and our kids would tell you in our home, the worst words that they can ever possibly hear come out of the mouth of their parents is, I'm really disappointed in you. Because we've tried to raise up our, our kids to have a fear, respect for authority. Look, this is a good parenting tip for you. Always side with authority. I got pulled over doing 37 and a 35 and got a ticket. Can you believe that? Well, you broke the law. Well, it was only two miles an hour and everybody else was going faster. That doesn't matter. What you did was wrong. Just do what's right. You don't have to worry about that. I can't believe I got a parking ticket for parking here. I was parked here for two minutes. Okay, how many minutes do you have to be parked before it's against the law? You broke the law. Just pay the stupid ticket. Respect for authority as opposed to like, yeah, these cops here ain't got nothing better to do. I mean, for heaven's sake, I saw a guy smoking meth over there. They're writing parking tickets. Like, come on. Like, people are like dealing drugs in broad daylight in the park, and you're over here writing parking tickets. Get a real job, cops right? Do you know what that breeds? It breeds a hatred for authority. And so for our kids, we've tried to raise them from a young age. Like, my teacher was super unfair. They gave us all this homework. Well, we'll stay up, you know? I'll make some coffee. I'll help you with your homework. How about that? Well, my teacher's a, a jerk. No, he's not. He's just going through a lot. And if I had to deal with 30 of you on a given day, I would pull my hair out too. <laughs> I would be a jerk too. So just Cut him some slack, you know? Now, there were times where their teacher was 100% in the wrong, and I knew it. And I would tell my kids, you know what? Even if they're wrong, you need to respect their authority because that's who they are. And then I would go up privately and let the teacher have it, you know? Aside, and, and hey, did you take care of that thing at school, Dad? Your teacher's a good man, and I'm really thankful for him. We should totally pray for him. I didn't say, yeah, I let him have it, man. I told him what was what. I told him if he ever did that again, he can meet me out in the parking lot after school bell rings. We'll have it out, you know? No. Why? Because I want to teach my kids to respect authority. Because ultimately, the final authority in their life is God the Father. And so, a fear of God should drive us away from sin. If somebody doesn't fear God in reverential worship, they'll ultimately fear God in his burning wrath. <laughs> You have an opportunity to respect and honor and worship God and submit to him the way that everyone should. Or your alternative is you'll meet God in judgment one day. What does that mean? That means for those who don't fear the Lord, they're going to hell. Not because they didn't fear God, because they sinned against God. Because they weren't willing to submit to God's authority I don't have time to read it, but Revelation chapter 20 is the worst verses in all the Bible. If I could rewrite the Bible, these are the first verses that I would take out. But they're there, and we've got to deal with it. 
You know what it says? It says that I saw the dead, small and great, and the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And all whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. That's the worst thing in the Bible is that people go to hell. I don't like it. I can't change it. I obviously can't take it out of the Bible. We can't pretend like it's not there. So what do we do? I got an idea, and it's not my idea. It's not original to me. It's original to Jesus. We take our entire lives and everything that we have, and we warn people about God's coming judgment. We tell people about Jesus. We tell people about the cross. We tell people about the fact that Jesus died for their sins and loves them dearly. We try to tell them that if they're willing to come to God the Father and submit to him, he will love their socks off and their life will never be the same. Let's spend the rest of our life doing that, helping people to understand the fear of God. Why would we have a couple from California to go to a third world country like Thailand to tell people about Jesus? Because they know of a coming judgment and they're out there ringing the warning bells. Why do we give money to help missionaries plant churches around the world? Because they're out there sounding the warning bells. Judgment is coming. You need to fear the Lord. Why is that important? Romans chapter 3, verse number 18, there was no fear of God before their eyes. This isn't unique to our society, although we see it growing in our society for sure. But it's unique to the Bible, so what do we do? We make a difference. And so people sometimes struggle with the fact that God can be angry, can struggle with, with God's wrath. And it's important to note that God's wrath is always balanced by his grace and his willingness willingness to immediately forgive. Does God get angry at sin? Absolutely, God hates sin's guts. Is God going to judge those who have sinned against him? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But the moment that you throw up the white flag and say, hey, I was wrong, God's just forgiven, done. Over and done with like it never even happened. God is willing to be gracious. You say, well, well what if somebody doesn't deserve forgiveness? <laughs> you think you deserve forgiveness? You don't understand grace. You don't, under, you don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve forgiveness. But God gave it anyway because he's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful, he's loving, and he's willing to forgive at the drop of a hat. There's no road that we have to climb or, or stairs that we have to go through or program that we have to complete and graduate from before we get God's forgiveness. We say, God, I'm sorry, and he says, forgiven. That's one of the reasons why I hate false religion that says like, be a good person, give lots of money, help the poor, you know, do these things, and then maybe God will forgive you. Oh, that's all a lie. If, we're, if we confess our sin, 1 John 1, 7, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Micah chapter 7 is in your notes. You've got to see these two verses. They're beautiful verses. Micah chapter 7, verse number 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, that forgives sins, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He'll turn again. He'll have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities, get this, and that will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I love that phrase. You know why? One of the things that, that 
grinds my gears is people are like, oh, the Bible isn't biblically, historically, and scientifically accurate. Yes, it is. And why is the phrase, the depths of the sea, why is that important? Can anybody tell me just off the top of your head how deep the sea actually is? Oh, we can could, we could make stuff up, right? You can pull up your phone and find out what's the lowest recorded depth. That's just the recorded depth. Did you know with all the technology that we have, we still can't get to the bottom of the sea? And if you could, that's where you would find all the sins that you've ever committed in your life. In a place where you could never possibly get to them again. The Bible says if we confess our sin, that God takes our sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. Friend, you have the opportunity to be forgiven by Jesus. Man, God's wrath doesn't look so bad because it's really easy. Trust in Jesus. It all goes away. Why would God send people to hell? God doesn't love people as he sends people to hell. No, 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 no. People choose to go to hell. His grace is available for everyone. His forgiveness is available to anyone who would come to him in faith and repentance. And so it's not on God. It's 100% on us. Now, why don't people have the fear of God? People don't have the fear of God because of ignorance. They don't know any better. Nobody's ever told them who God is and what he expects of them. Now, again, Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that God has revealed himself unto all people so that they're without excuse. And so everybody knows that there is a God. But what does God want from us? Why should we fear the God? Should we, should we be scared of him? Like, if I do something wrong, is he going to strike me dead? Is that what's going to happen with God if I, if I step out of line? No, you don't understand the fear of God. And so again, sometimes people don't have the fear of God because they don't know. So it's our job to tell them. It's our job to clue them in. It's our job to teach them what the fear of God is and why you should respect God's authority and what happens when you don't. It's the two of those together that give us the fear of God. The absence of, God, uh, of the fear of God is a result of selfishness. I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be under God's authority because I am the authority. I do what I want, when I want, how I want, to what degrees that I want, and I don't want anybody to tell me any differently. Okay, you've created your own religious structure where you're God. There's no fear of God before your eyes because you are the authority. And let me just tell you this, you're the boss until one day you're not. Because the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So one of these days you'll bow down to the real King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's not you. Another reason for the absence of the fear of God is the fear of man. I'm worried about what other people think about me. We had a, a great time yesterday. We took about six hours and I taught people how to share their faith and evangelize and just practical tips and tricks for having a conversation with people about faith and how they can share their faith better. Took a look at some doctrines, some Bible verses and things like that. Before we get started, I asked people, why do you think people don't share their faith? Does anybody want to guess what the number one answer was? Fear. No, the fear is different. Fear of embarrassment. Fear of rejection. Fear of what other people will think. <laughs> Fear of getting in trouble at work. Fear that I won't be able to live up like a Christian should if I put it out there that I'm a Christian. But it all came down to fear. And here's the thing. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
You're not supposed to be scared. You're supposed to have peace knowing that God's in charge and that he's greater than you will ever hope to be and knowing that he has a plan for your life. But so many times we don't want to walk in obedience. We don't want to stay in that area where we know that we're supposed to because we're afraid of what other people think. Do people value me enough? Do, does what I bring to the table, is it good enough? Some of you were just destroyed today to find out that nobody cares about where you work, how much money you make, or what kind of car you drive. Like some of you are sitting there like, I can't believe somebody would say something so rude. doesn't matter. Because when we fear God, the fear of man just kind of dissipates. G.K. Chesterton once said, we fear man so much because we fear God so little. So worry about what other people think because we have no real fear of God. Hey, look, at the end of the day, I don't really care what you think about me or how I live my life. The question I have is, is my father pleased? If the answer to that is yes, then frankly, I don't really care a whole lot about what you think. Now, if my father's not pleased by the way that I'm living, I'm going to have to find somebody else to please. And then I'm going to be looking for like, hey, what do you think of me? Do you think I'm a good guy? Do you think I'm a good person? What do you think about the new car I bought? Are you impressed by that? Hey, I think I'm going back, back and get my third PhD. Isn't that impressive? You know, now I care about what you think because I'm, I'm rejected by my father. And so, you know, I just want to encourage you this week. Let's have a healthy fear of God, an awe, a respect recognizing the majesty of his glory and who he is and recognizing that one of these days, if you're a child of God, you'll stand together in the throne room of God with believers throughout all of world history singing praises and worship unto Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they won't need a son there because our Father is the light. Wow! Can you imagine no darkness in heaven because our Father is light? That's a cute thought for one day, but we need to recognize that that same God expects something of you and I like this afternoon. He expects something from me this week at work, for you this week at school, for you this week in your home. He has expectations for you that you need to honor him and respect him because he's worthy of our fear. Maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend. You should be scared in your pants at God's coming judgment. If you don't know for sure that you've been saved or born again, do not leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. But for those of us that are saved, let's live like it this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.